Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Douglas Wilson. This is episode 287. 287 of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Just a few weeks ago, I got back from uh, the ACCS conference in Pittsburgh. It was the second time we've been in Pittsburgh. And I thought I should um, express my, it was just a wonderful conference, approaching 1300 classical Christian educators from all over. And it was just a wonderful conference, uh, great, great talks. It was just uh, marvelous. And I thought I would express my gratitude for the work of ACCS by talking a little bit about the origins of the whole thing. Uh, some people, many of you are probably aware of the beginnings of Logos School or the uh, beginnings of the movement, but I want to talk a little bit about ACCS itself. So when uh, we started Logos School, uh, began working on it in the late 70s. One day, Nancy said to me when our oldest daughter was a toddler, Doug, I can't, I can't see handing her over to someone we don't know and saying, here she is, educator. And at the time, I knew virtually nothing about Christian education or classical education. Uh, but the one thing I did know was that I agreed with that. I agreed with what Nancy had just said. And so I said, somewhat rashly, I said, well, don't worry, honey, we'll have a Christian school started by the time Becca hits kindergarten, which meant that the clock was running. And I began nosing about and meeting with some other interested parents. And it's worth noting and worth emphasizing that I got involved in all of this, not as a professional educator, because I wasn't. Not I didn't major in education, didn't study education. I got involved in all of this as a concerned parent. I did not want my children to receive the kind of education that I had received. I felt shortchanged or or ripped off, and so I w I wanted them to have more. I wanted them to have something more. Back up for a minute. Back in high school, I had read uh, William F. Buckley's uh, book Up from Liberalism. And it had made an immediate conquest of me. And back then in high school, I had subscribed to National Review. And uh, that subscription followed me into the Navy. This was before I was married. And I remember uh, sometime, it would have been sometime 1973 or earlier, National Review republished as an article an address that Dorothy Sayers had given uh, in the 1940s, and that address was called the Lost Tools of Learning. And so I, I was just a single sailor, and I subscribed to this magazine. I read the article and said, "Huh." And, but for some reason, that article stuck stuck with me. Well, uh, fast forward again. Now I'm a, a young father, a husband and father, uh, talking to other people about uh, what we wanted to do, and. I remembered, and we and we knew we we basically knew what we didn't want to do. Uh, we didn't want to have a fundamentalist reactionary academy where um, kids all wore red, white, and blue uniforms, and and Pentecost happened initially in 1776. Uh, we didn't want that. 
and we did, but neither did we want a private school that was just as secular and, and unbelieving as the government school, with the only difference being you paid a lot of tuition, you paid a lot of money. So we didn't want a Tony Prep school, but unbelieving, and we didn't want a, a fundamentalist school, and by that I mean culturally fundamentalist. We we believed the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and we're very conservative, but there's a cultural fundamentalism that we didn't want to have a part of. And so we came up with, for some reason, I don't know why, but we came up with the phrase classical and Christ-centered. And classical meant that it wasn't the fundamentalist kind. Christ-centered meant it wasn't the unbelieving private school kind. Uh, so there, we had that phrase. And somewhere in there, I'm not sure the exact order, but somewhere in there, I remembered this article that I had read in National Review. And I thought, okay, we, we know what we don't want, but we don't know what we do want. And so I went up to the U University of Idaho library, tracked the article down, made copies, and distributed it to the other people working with me on the steering committee. And the decision was made, sure, we don't know what we're doing, so we might as well try this. And, uh, and we implemented it. This was, and we opened, uh, the school opened in 1981, very beginning of the 80s. And we were in the thick of it, uh, in the weeds. And as we did this, we learned a whole bunch. We learned a lot. And time went by, about 10 years went by. And we thought, you know, this is uh, really remarkable. What The results were astonishing. Uh, for for a bunch of amateurs who started a school, we were getting really good results, thanks to Dorothy Sayers. Well, around uh, 1990, probably, I belonged at the time to the conservative book club, and I got a uh, got a book in the mail called The Turning Point by Herbert Schlossberg, who had written The Magnificent Idols for Destruction, and Marvin Alasky. And it was clear that this book, Turning Point, was going to be the first in a series of books tackling all the different subjects under the sun from a Christian worldview. And it was going to basically going to be doing what the Reconstructionists were doing, only with perhaps a little better attitude. <laughs> you know. And I thought, oh, this is exciting. I would really like to do the book on education. So I contacted Marvin Lasky, and he was gracious enough to talk to me about it. And on one of my trips uh, speaking somewhere, I, I stopped at his uh, place in Texas to meet with him and his wife, Susan. Then they came up and visited Logos School to check it out to see if it was the real deal. And the end result was I got the contract to write the turning point book on education, which was called Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. So the other books in the, the, other books in the series were, you know, literature, um, literature from a Christian worldview, going to the movies with a Christian worldview, Banking from a Christian worldview, um, foreign policy. Well, no, I, I'm not sure about banking, but there was a foreign policy one. There, it was all over the road. And so what people would do is they would put down the book on uh, going to the movies and say, honey, this is, that was very informative. Let's go to the movies. But when they put my book down, they, put the book, they, they, they would put the book down and say, honey, uh, we have to start a school. And uh, so they started calling and writing, and and we started getting, and the response was robust, and we started getting a lot of people contacting us about starting a school. What do we do? What do we do? And uh, it got to the point where I asked Nancy if if she would, uh, could you just handle the 
education correspondence that we're getting. And so that's that's the uh, genesis of ACCS. ACCS began as with us answering letters on our kitchen table with Nancy handling the correspondence and routing questions to different Logos teachers and whatnot. And I thought, well, you know, we're getting all these questions. Why don't we hold a conference here on education? And if we hold a conference here, what we can do is we can tape the lectures and the lectures can be sort of FAQs, frequently asked questions. And then we'll have tapes on the basic questions. And when people write in with their questions, we can just send them the tapes. So we scheduled our first conference here in Moscow. And the the response was really surprisingly robust. Uh, about maybe 50 people came. And they were all in about, we have to start schools. And they were gung-ho, ready to go. And we did, th- we, after that first response was so uh, strong, I thought, okay, we have to start a, an association. So I drafted the Articles of Incorporation, drafted the drafted the initial thing, recruited some people to join with me, and we uh, started ACCS. So that was after the first conference. And we had the first three conferences here in Moscow, and I, but I think two of them were in the same calendar year. So the first three, and then the fourth one, uh, it was big enough and strong enough to take it on the road. So the fourth one, uh, we held in Raleigh, North Carolina, and then we were off to the races. So now every year it's uh, in a place like Atlanta or Dallas. We've been in Pittsburgh a couple of times. Uh, we've been in Washington, D.C. once. We've been in Rochester, Minnesota. And w- what, we, what ACCS tries to do is schedule the conference that in, in a place where it's within driving distance for most of our schools. And a lot, a lot of our schools are in the southwest, uh, excuse me, in the southeast. And so um, it's just really encouraging to see an organization like ACCS stoutly resisting the woke currents. And it's not through lack of people trying to get us to go woke. You know, we, we are all about diversity, right? We teach, we teach Latin to third graders. We uh, have the, the kids are exposed to the great books and they, you know, they do all the, they're doing all these things. And so why isn't that multiculturalism? Well, it's a, it is a genuine multiculturalism, but it's not the uh, diversity mongering that is going on today. So ACCS represents, I think the best, clearest, most focused way of recovering the lost tools of learning and has been a privilege and an honor being uh, associated with it for all these years. Always will be God. Continuing with the podcast, uh, episode 287, we come now to, you, you guessed it, this is our hamartiology feature. Hamartiology is our ongoing theme, meaning the study of sin in the New Testament. And we come now to a sin that is mentioned just one time in Ephesians 5.4. The word concerned is eutropalia which in the KJV is rendered as jesting. Jesting, here it is. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, there it is, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Ephesians 5, 4. Now, more context is provided by some of the other translations. The ESV has it as crude joking, and the NASB renders it as coarse jesting, and the NKJV does the same. Coarse jesting or crude joking 
and KJV has just jesting. I've explained it before uh, in the past as uh, junior high bathroom humor, so uh, vulgarity. Now, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that we should simply avoid all bad words, quote-unquote bad words, and then the content of the list of those bad words is maintained by an overly pious aunt of yours. Uh, But there are different kinds of bad words. In English, we recognize, for example, obscenity, cursing, swearing, and vulgarity. Four different kinds. Obscenity is usually of of a sexual nature. Cursing is calling down you know, invectives, uh, swearing is so help me God, that sort of thing, and vulgarity, the kind of uh, coarse jesting we're talking about here. So the prohibition of Ephesians 5.4 would be a prohibition of that kind of vulgarity. But at the same time, we have to recognize that Scripture also contains godly examples of all four categories. Obscenity, how about Ezekiel 23.20? Cursing, Galatians 1.8, if we are an angel from heaven preach to you a gospel other than the one you received, then anathema, may he be condemned. Swearing, Deuteronomy 6.13, where the Israelites were to take their oaths in God's name. And then vulgarity, Isaiah 64.6, in the famous passage, all your righteousness is like filthy rags. And, and the original in Hebrew is referring to a used menstrual cloth. That's crude, right? Life is not always simple. This does not mean Christian ethics for speech are relativistic, not at all, but it does mean that they are not cut out of cardboard either. So what we have to do is we have to say, okay, the Bible does prohibit dirty jokes. The Bible does prohibit crude joking, coarse jesting. God don't never change. He's God. So as we continue this uh, episode, the, my book review is a, a book I just finished called Final Battle. Uh, this book is by David Horowitz, political activist, a, a conservative writer and conservative agitator. And uh, this book basically is a, a sobering look at the upcoming presidential election in 2024 and the need that we have to make sure it doesn't go the way the last one did. Now, everything is all in a muddle. Basically, what this book does, the bulk of this book is a review of the Biden presidency. It walks through all the things that he's done, the damage he's done, the uh, policy positions he's taken, and so on. The central problem, however, is the, the corruption of our system. And the, that corruption is such that if, if you even raise a question about whether there was cheating in the election, then you are a threat to democracy, a threat to the republic. And let me correct that. If you raise any concerns about Maricopa County in Arizona or any concerns about how the voting was halted in the middle of the night in Georgia and Pennsylvania, if you point at any of the funny business that uh, went on there, and you do so from a conservative vantage point, then you are trying to overturn elections. You are trying to silence the voice of the people. You are an evildoer. Now, of course, Democrats have challenged the legitimacy of elections. It's just something they do. Al Gore and uh, George Bush and Hillary Clinton saying that um, 
that Donald Trump won by means of Russian collusion. Uh, so, so basically, uh, if you are accusing a cons- someone more conservative than you are of winning an election by means of some sort of fraud or misdeed, some sort of cheating, if you do that, then you get a free pass. But if you raise those questions with much firmer foundation uh, from the right, then you are Fruit Loop and nobody needs to listen to you at all. David Horowitz does, it's, the bulk of it is not about um, uh, election fraud. The bulk of it is about policy and the things that are actually being done. But I think uh, the subtitle indicates that this election could easily be, if, if this next election goes the wrong way, uh, it is fair to um, think, fair to worry that uh, uh, clean elections are a thing of the past. So, final the final battle by David Horowitz. It's good. It was. It's a good book.